signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Co- context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. 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 It's the greatest discovery live with Rachel Dretch, Rob Schulte, Daryl Hammond, Chris Catan, Maya Rudolph, featuring Will Forte, a cartoon by Robert Smigel. Musical guest, Moby, and your hosts, Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. Ladies and gentlemen, Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. That was an excellent Don Pardo. <laughs> took everything out of me. I'm gonna, you're going to have to carry me the rest of the show. <laughs> Wow. Uh, it is great to host the greatest discovery uh, for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been a it's been a great year for me. Uh, you may you may know me from uh, the greatest generation. Yeah. And no other podcasts. That's the that's the kind of great year it's been so far. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How much do you love SNL? Because I love SNL maybe as much as any other television show. Wow, that's a big amount of love. Um, I, I I really like SNL. I, I think that I am currently in kind of a low amount of wanting to watch it. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is to do with how upsetting politics has been to me lately and how I don't really find anything joking about it to be that right. that funny. <laughs> I feel like it mostly just spikes my cortisol and I don't disagree with you, especially like modern SNL is all about the cold open into the politics show. Yeah. As the hook. And that's that's rare. You know what? That like leans on the sort of comedy that I dislike the most, which is like the recognition comedy. Yeah. I get what the reference is in yeah. in, in place of joke. The referential comedy instead of the, the the smarter kind of comedy, which I still think modern SNL does, but they managed to save mostly until the 1 to 130 part <laughs> of the show, which is like when it really gets interesting. I've been such a sleepy man lately, and like I'll, often like the really great stuff from the end of the show is cut when you try to watch it on mm-hmm. streaming the next day. So I uh, I don't know. Like I think that I think that there are so many things that are totally amazing about SNL like like the length of the run and the number of contributions to the culture that it's made not a perfect show the miracle of its production but yeah like the just the the amount of jokes that are written and executed at that level every yeah. week when when they're making it is is always amazing like even when the jokes are not slapping just the like the 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 miracle of it existing is still super impressive a lot of people criticize it for its lack of consistency and i think that's one of the things that makes it great that illuminates that miracle you're talking about because when it's great it's greater than great it's greater than a normal show's great right i mean because it has those uh, peaks and valleys as as a season yeah I, I think it's really i still love it i gotta hip you to the 830 feed Ben, you can watch East Coast Feed on the West Coast now. Oh. You get a nice little SNL sandwich. You get your 8.30 East Coast Feed, and then you get a classic SNL at 10. Oh, And then at 11.30, they replay uh, the East Coast Feed for the West Coast. Wow. I got to- So you can do it, man. I got to get onto that. I'm- uh... I'm not doing anything these days, (laughs) so I might as well. (laughs) Try staying up late. See what happens. Uh, well, so the idea for today's greatest discovery is we're going to go back through the SNL archives and watch a whole bunch of, uh, of, of sketches that they've done based on Star Trek. Uh, the earliest we found was 1976, like, uh, like OG stuff. And, um, I think in the show notes, we'll have Rob, uh, put links to all of these. So if you haven't seen them there, uh, everything, everything we'll be talking about is available online 
uh, to one degree or another of bootlegged or on the mm-hmm. official SNL YouTube channel. <laughs> this first sketch is from May 1976. The host of the episode was Elliot Gould. The musical guest was Leon Redbone. Damn. And this was an example of a sketch where SNL talks about its relationship to its own network a little bit. And there's some fun tension when SNL does that. And you get that mostly in in early decade seasons of the show, for sure. And uh, in this case, it kind of cross-pollinates its tension with its network with a gripe that the Star Trek program obviously had uh, at the moment of its cancellation. Yeah, so uh, so we start with a pretty like straight down the middle, like not even parody open. It's Belushi as Kirk and Chevy Chase as Spock. Sensors are picking up an unidentified vessel headed straight toward us. Lieutenant Uhura, open a hailing frequency. I was delighted the second this started happening because I was just like, man, like we're looking at our comedic ancestors, like loving the like aesthetic of Star Trek almost so much that it. They forgot to make some jokes at the beginning. <laughs> I love that Aykroyd's Dr. McCoy uh, keeps the mustache. Like, Dan Aykroyd is not going to shave his mustache in 1976. No, He's going to no. wear it as Dr. McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was super impressed by Chevy Chase's Spock. Yeah, he really committed. Like, Aykroyd's impression of Bones is... Also really impressive. I'm a doctor, not a tailor, damn it. Yeah. Like, I, I think that Belushi is doing, like, the least of a, like, this is me doing the character. And yet with Belushi, there's always, like, the pathos under the surface. Like, of any character he does, there's always a little bit of Belushi in him. Yeah, absolutely. And there, and it's straining against what he's doing with Kirk a little bit. And that, I think that's what makes his Kirk really fascinating to, to watch. The other... Uh, character on screen here is Sulu, who is played by Akira Yoshimura, who is a production designer on SNL and has been since the 70s and still is. And he comes back and reprises his role as Sulu over and over again over the course of this episode in a way that like is both like really amazing and cool, but also like has been held up as a reason to criticize SNL because until very recently there were no Asian American uh, performers on the show so they had to use their production designer who is just kind of a you know a guy in glasses like he doesn't really look like Sulu it's just he's Asian is like apparently the, the reason they cast him. I feel like that may also be a self own a little bit too right? Yeah. Like- they, I think they're very aware of of how poorly they've done with uh, diversity of casting. So I think if you were to watch all of these sketches back to back to back to back the way we did, the repetition of an Akira Yoshimura is a delight. Like, yeah. I love seeing him. He always makes me happy. His line delivery is always, like, <laughs> delightful. Yeah. <laughs> the ship can't take it. In this first one, I was like, I don't understand why this why this extra that they cast is so disinterested in committing yeah. to the bit. Like, if you got to be an extra on SNL, wouldn't you bring your A-game? And then I was like, oh, he's not an actor. But, but the, like, the fact that he gets brought back over and over again. And also, I feel like he gets funnier every time they bring him back. Yeah. Like he's he's been in these like hilarious waters for so long that he's just soaked some of it up. I think it's a great I don't want to call it a reward, but like set designers and guys, guys who build and are responsible for how the show looks the way he was and is like you don't get the accolades of being on camera ever. And this is a sketch that he took part in designing. Yeah. And when they when they flip the walls all around, you get to see like that ticker tape machine with like the hand crank <laughs> behind there was so amazing. It's such a good detail. The gels and the lights they used behind the panels, like I love that shit. And I know I, I've got to believe that that was intentional, like incorporating him into the sketch as well as showing all of the work that it takes to do something like this. Yeah. I think like Star Trek feels like an easy thing to send up on SNL until you consider the work of the set build, which is like 
so challenging, I think, yeah. to make look right. And you see many different versions of this kind of thing as the decades go on. One, one other thing about the 1976-ness of this sketch that kind of broke my brain was the like piece of shit car that's chasing them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I realized like 10 minutes after watching the sketch, oh, that was supposed to be a fancy car, not a junky car. <laughs> Computer has identified the alien vessel as a 1968 Chrysler Imperial with a tinted windshield and retractable headlights. You know, that totally relates to to the comment about like the challenge of of making fun of Star Trek being part of the build. Like what's funny is the the ship effects don't get much better in (laughs) 10 or 20 or 30 years. It's always really difficult to pull that stuff off. So when they turn on the view screen and they're being chased by a K car, like that's as good as it looks in 76 or 86 or 96. Yeah. It's very much Ben making a home video movie about being in space level ship effects. And I think like in, 2015 when they could easily just render a cg thing it's more of a bit that they're not doing that but in in this it's very funny like the the way the ship is clearly just hanging on fishing line and like swinging around in the in the breeze they did a great job with the bangers in this sketch too like they're clearly locked off for a bunch of stuff and then they cut to the handheld camera clearly and uh, and the way they tilt it to one side and the people move to the other it's great i love that stuff i love it and um I, I thought the sketch was really funny. Like it's, it is a long sketch. It's, it's like 12 minutes of runtime on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it really takes them a good five or six minutes to get to the joke, which mm-hmm. is that the, the network suits are here and in the person of Elliot Gould to shut the show down. And that means like the phasers aren't working and he's really like no budding there pretending to be in Star mm-hmm. Trek and it's like a very like complicated version of that, right? Like like Shatner and DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy are so committed to their characters that they believe that they are going to phaser a network guy. <laughs> it's also like a pervasive kind of of condescension toward science fiction, science fiction fans, science fiction actors that that we see like pervading all of these sketches, which is like this is almost beneath a neck a network executive to go and visit the set. Right. And these people are idiots who don't understand how the real world works. <laughs> like that, that is a tension that, that isn't a lot of these SNL sketches, I think. Yeah. I think that SNL has, has definitely dragged our fandom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, many of these. no one, no one's cooler than a comedy fan. Um, Yeah, maybe it's a bit of a pot calling the kettle black situation, which um, maybe is a good pivot to the next one of these, uh, which is uh, Star Trek V, The Restaurant Enterprise. This episode aired uh, December 20th, 1986. The host was William Shatner. The musical guest was Lone Justice. Any Lone Justice fans out there? (laughs) Oh, man. I would say that Hartman's McCoy is every bit as great as Ackroyd's McCoy. Like, Hartman is bringing that level to that character and doing it without the stash. I love SNL sketches that are ostensibly about one thing, but in reality are about something else. Like <laughs> this is this is a Star Trek spoof, but it's really about working in hospitality and food service. Yeah. And the thing that deli- that delighted me about this sketch was how naturally Shatner was a good restaurant host. He, <laughs> he read as so real to me in that yeah. context. Everything all right? Oh, Enjoying your meal? Good, 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 good. We've all been to a checkered tablecloth restaurant before where the owner of the restaurant is just always floating around, yeah. backslapping and stuff, and this is that Shatner. <laughs> it's great. 
I, I also love the set design in this one. This is this is a the bridge has been converted into for some reason a Neptune's Net style seafood yeah. restaurant, and and the way they've gone about doing that is just bringing in some tables and then like hanging plastic lobsters and fake fish nets from the walls. <laughs> it's, it's very funny that they they like went to the trouble of building a pretty good backdrop for the the bridge of the starship enterprise and then draped all that crap on it <laughs> like you can you can map out why right like star trek 4 being the whales star trek and this being a seafood restaurant is like the line you can draw to them referentially but Seafood restaurant is also the funniest kind of restaurant for this to be. Like, it's just a natural fit. The dispenser is jammed, Captain. It will take days to repair. We get Akira Yoshimura back as Sulu, and uh, (laughs) I think the line of this sketch for me is, I want full relish. (laughs) (laughs) Sulu's got to to make uh, extra dressing because they're out, and... uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, the uh, transposing all of the like techno babble onto like pumping stuff out of a you know a ketchup pump into a bowl to to try and like make extra Russian dressing is uh <laughs> is really great. You're you're right that Hartman's McCoy totally steals the sketch. On paper, I think Dana Carvey's supposed to do that because his con as the as the food safety inspector along with his like like lackey inspector yeah. is a ton of fun i mean it clearly like the way he found uh his way into that character is by figuring out how ricardo montalban pronounced the name kirk right <laughs> and everything very breathy flows from that <laughs> kirk you're still alive my old friend my business kirk is official I think one of the pieces of trivia about this sketch is that this is the last time that Shatner wears the original series uniform. It was a big, big deal because at this point he'd been wearing movie uniforms forever. Right. And that is a garment that you're just not going to be able to reproduce on SNL. A, <laughs> a costume department as talented as theirs is not going to do three layers of turtleneck uh, fabric to, right. to pull this off. Plus just the, you know, the away team jacket with its huge crested <laughs> collar yeah. would maybe be a little distracting in a context like this. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I see Nora Dunn in a sketch, I've got to call attention to her. Like as just a restaurant patron, she doesn't get a lot to do in this sketch. But Nora Dunn's years on SNL were fucking gold. And she is one of the greats. Yeah, she's super funny. Um, the, I mean, like the the arc of it is basically the rotating restaurant grinds to a halt because Khan is there doing a surprise inspection. Kirk is able to bribe his way out of said inspection, and uh, and that's that's pretty much all there is to it. But uh, but the specifics are great, and and the performance is great, and like I think that you know, like say what you want about Shatner like he seems to have a reputation for being a bit of a jerk but he knows how to make fun of himself and he is just he's every bit as funny in this scene as as you want him to be you know it doesn't feel like he resents it or like he's not committed to uh you know making it as great as it can be the best SNL sketches are the ones where the host is the most game even with the weakest material and I feel like Shatner's commitment in this sketch and in the other more well-known sketch from this the same episode like it's that commitment that makes it funny yeah it's when when SNL really struggles I feel like is when they get a host in an uncomfortable situation who isn't able to fully commit who's really depending on the cards to get the lines out but there's something about like in the restaurant enterprise sketch especially like you can see Shatner's eyes find the cards because he's doing a lot of physically moving around the set like he's he's turning like when he when he gets the cash from right. Spock and McCoy he's got to turn around and give it to uh, to the con character like that's really difficult to do on stage and find the cards and look like you're speaking to who you're talking to in a sketch and yeah. I thought he was just naturally really good at that it ruled this one is called Trekkies, and it 
is also from that same episode, right? The yeah, the December nineteen eighty six episode. I feel like it's the most popular SNL Star Trek sketch there is. It's the one people think about and, and talk about the most, right? Yeah. So this is set at a at a Star Trek convention, I think in Rye, New York, and uh, it's like you know in the Holiday Inn ballroom. Um, it's uh, Ben. Dan- before you get too far, Hartman's line read of Rye, New York. Destroys me <laughs> because he kind of uh, he kind of does a thing before the name of the of the city as if it's New York, New York. Wow, here in Rye, New York, he infuses it with a greatness that it doesn't possess. <laughs> I love it. I felt like there were so many ways to interpret that too. Like, there's a read of it that is like, I can't believe I'm in this dump of a town throwing this Mickey mm-hmm. Mouse convention or almost like forgetting where he is like where, yeah. what is this again or like the great the one the only right new <laughs> all of those are funny to me this is greatness from phil hartman because he's got to create this character within this world that has all of these feelings because he has to have, have the interaction later with Shatner where he shows him the contract right. and gets into the argument. So he's got to have the gravitas of a guy running a convention, but he also has to be a nerd. Right, right. And, and when he's like slumped over the podium, like <laughs> he's lacking confidence in that scene that he is then able to muster later when he gets into the argument with Shatner. It's great. That's such a great point and one of the things worth pointing out about this sketch because I think it'd be easy to walk away from this one being like, wow, this is just a really mean dunk on Star Trek fans and I think it really contains multitudes in that yeah. in that way. Like like if you if you accept that Phil Hartman is first and foremost a Star Trek enthusiast and also the guy that like runs the convention and therefore needs to confront Shatner when he is violating the terms of his contract. Uh, you know, like the Dana Carvey character and the uh, Kevin Nealon character and the John Lovitz character, like seem less mean in that, in that context. This is that comedy stratification we were talking about where like a sketch is about a thing, uh, top layer, but there's many layers below the familiarity of this sketch to me that that rang as the deepest truth was the prices, like the prices of things. Having gone to a couple of conventions with you, like yeah. <laughs> the the sixty dollar TV guide or whatever, like give me a fucking break. Like that that's a detail that this sketch got profoundly right. Well, and like the the double layeredness of that joke is that it's it's they're charging sixty dollars for the guide from a previous convention. Like right. like everything is a collectible in the context of right. these things, which is really true. Like that, like the yeah. convention floor in Vegas has like a you know three dozen booths where you can buy a signed picture of Nichelle Nichols, and then a booth where you can go get like authentication papers to go with mm-hmm. it, and it's like. I think that there's something very like I kind of wish they'd made more out of how how commercialized it can Star yeah. Trek can become in these contexts. Um, I, the biggest pop I had in this episode was the title of Jimmy Dewan's ex-wife's book being "Beam Me Out of Here." <laughs> <laughs> That's big fun. <laughs> I feel like either of our wives could write a memoir. <laughs> That. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. the The quality of a Q and A illuminating the not so secret fact that the fans know more about the thing than the creators every time. Yeah, uh, and it doesn't matter what the thing is. It could be Star Trek. It could be our podcast. It could be anything. Like the consumer knows. Yeah, the creator doesn't. When Shatner is up on the stage and like, you know, fielding questions that are like way too detailed for him to remember what episode we're talking about, you know, Galaxy Quest really like mapped beat for beat Mm -hmm. onto this in that opening scene with Tim Allen. And it's no secret that that character was based on Shatner and real experiences Shatner has had. But the like seeing Shatner do it is is that much more effective and he's again so game and i think that 
the the comedy in him starting to dunk on the fans is also heightened heightened for me because you can you can tell that like there is a consciousness in Shatner that this is kind of his bread and butter that he's messing with. Like he is harassing, like he is, he is biting the hand that feeds him in a way in this scene. There's a twinkle in his eye when he delivers that line, the get a lifeline. Yeah. Get a life. Will you people? There are 10 versions of that line that are so cruel. Right. The way he delivers it with like (laughs) kind of a, a half smile and yeah. a twinkle like that's that's someone who is laughing with i think instead yeah. of at even though i feel like the very first time i saw this sketch i really did feel the cruelty of that moment in a way that like that did affect me but i feel differently about the sketch now and it could just be i don't know it could just be more reps of being around uh super duper fans uh to where like there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of fun awkwardness. It's not something to be cruel at, but it's uh, it's an observation that that isn't completely out of place. A very fun sketch. I uh, I think that cruelty is is kind of necessary for the comedy, and mm. and I don't think cruelty is necessary to all comedy. Uh, but I think yeah. that like if you're going to like send something up, you have to be a little bit cutting about it sometimes, and you have to have a conflict. And I feel like where the cuts go the deepest in this sketch is about the like commercialization and the aloof asshole star who is rich and doesn't really care about these people. And and it feels like it's landing the punches in the right places to me at the end of the day. There's a sweetness to Kevin Nealon in this sketch and Dana Carvey. And to a lesser extent, I think maybe uh, Lovitz. Like Lovitz is the guy who gets truly dunked on at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and there's something just enjoyable about seeing anyone dunk on Lovitz that I think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I think maybe pulls the cruelty back a little bit because you feel like he's deserving in some way. <laughs> I don't know. There's there's like a lot going on in this sketch. And uh, I I feel like as an episode goes... This entire episode was really fun. The This was a uh, Christmas episode, and right. often the SNL episodes around Christmas time are some of the more memorable ones. And I think one of the great sketches that SNL has ever made was the lost ending to It's a Wonderful Life. That was this episode, the one, de- the one with the beatdown of Mr. Potter at the end. <laughs> I don't want the money. I want a piece of you, Potter. Uh, because we're going in order... Uh, In 1992, there was another Star Trek-related sketch. Uh, The host of this episode was John Goodman, and its musical guest was Garth Brooks. Pretty pretty banging lineup for 92, I think. Yeah. I mean, usually Garth Brooks hosts and and has his alter ego as the musical guest, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This sketch was notable for being Phil Hartman's first Bill Clinton impression. His debut of his Bill Clinton came in this cold open. And it is, uh, it's sort of, it's kind of a junket situation. Democratic primary candidates are making their, making their pitch at a Star Trek convention. And it's Jerry Brown, who was the former and future governor of California at this point. Uh, Mm -hmm. Paul Tsongas, who is a senator, I don't I wasn't familiar with that uh, with that historical character, and Bill Clinton, who uh, felt like he was already winning this race. Like the the yeah. pop that Hartman gets when he comes out as Clinton is like, oh, like these people are excited about Bill Clinton more than they're excited about seeing Hartman do Clinton. It feels like right, yeah. You know, sometimes SNL gets into that pattern of being super geographically specific with their jokes. Yeah. I skipped Wilshire and took Beverly over to Santa Monica and then took that all the way up. And this is an instance where, like, the political specificity depends on how silly the impression is. Like, I, I don't really remember Jerry Brown and his idiosyncrasies and I didn't really remember Paul Songus at all but the impressions of those two guys yeah. were silly enough to be to be funny contextually you know and I'll say it to Andy Griffith's face I mean he may be an honorable man but what he's doing is just business as usual Jerry Brown was also the mayor of Oakland uh, where I grew up and I met Jerry Brown at a like 
campaign event at somebody's house where how about that there were probably a dozen potential voters there and me a too young to vote child and jerry brown and he talked about like you know policy for 15 minutes and like then like stood around and answered questions and shook hands and like asked people for their vote and this is exactly what he is like he he is like such a technocrat such a like like a policy dork and uh i thought that that impression was pitch perfect this cast was my cast the early 90s cast yeah like chris farley's first season like dana carvey and mike myers like i would watch an episode a day on comedy central of this cast it was uh like my formative comedy years were were watching this version of the show really fun the the cuts to the nerds in the audience get get laughs from the from the crowd every single time and sometimes it's david spade or chris farley or mike myers and sometimes it's just a guy that they cast because he looked nerdy yeah and they're they're all pretty funny uh, <laughs> i mean one thing that i i noticed is that they put uh david spade in the same t-shirt uh, that John Lovitz is wearing in the previous sketch we talked about, right. which is another, like, I would love to know what the costume closet at SNL looks like and how they organize it and how they keep track of stuff like that. Because, I mean, like, we talked about Akira Yoshimura and, like, the callback of him reappearing in all of these sketches mm-hmm. over and over again. But, like, the callbacks of props and and wardrobe and stuff like that is also... Uh, taking place in in all of these and in a way that is really fun. If you're an SNL nerd, you're aware that there is a computer that has all of the sketches and all of their metadata and all of the dress rehearsal sketches for the entire show's run. Wow. And it's something that the writers and the cast members use for research. And I've got to believe that that is something that the costume designers can use too as a way to to build the look and feel of sketches like these you know yeah it's really remarkable speaking of people that say the word remarkable adam (laughs) this next couple of things are um are patrick stewart he's hosted the show one time i think you said yeah just this single episode in 1994 can you name to me the ship's other medical officer because of course there were two this bit really reminded me of our nth degree bit that we do on greatest generation which is when we are subjected by our board game to doing research our our (laughs) response to that has always been to make up bullshit (laughs) right this feels like the patrick stewart from extras you know like Mm -hmm. the wry self-aware comedy fucking of your expectations of him yeah i think is big fun the pop that he gets when he hits his mark on after the walkout is bigger than shatner's it's one of the biggest i can recall hearing like yeah people are fucking psyched that he's doing the show yeah and i think that in this monologue it could be as much making fun of star trek fans as mm-hmm. as that trekkie sketch with shatner but it doesn't it doesn't ever get like to that level, I don't think. Yeah, it's it's much more a a self dunk than anything else. Right. There are so many characters here. Yeah. So let's talk about the sketch because they did uh, they did one Star Trek sketch on on this, and it's Love Boat: The Next Generation. So it's it's uh, combining two beloved television franchises into one, and clearly they got star trek makeup and wardrobe people to help out with this because like i think it's Worf's real sash and geordie's real visor and like the frankie makeup on franken is is perfect and and like the way it would be done on star trek so I, yeah. it's very fun to see the the like the skills and talent of the star trek people that like clearly brought uh in to do some of this stuff you know, up against the skills and talent of the SNL people, which are like, who are no less talented, but are like working toward a totally different goal a lot of the time. I feel like you could probably do a really interesting short documentary about this sketch and its development. Yeah. Based on how much went into it. Like you're right about all of those details, but also like the uniforms themselves, the the TNG slash love boat uniform as a uniform. (laughs) 
it's, it it's good. Great. The attention to its detail is excellent. If in TNG, when they go to Ryza, like the, the yeah. Starfleet people that are stationed on Ryza wore this uniform, you wouldn't bat an eye. You know, it's, okay. it's that good. I love SNL's obsession with David Brenner. Like <laughs> the mid 90s SNLs are always making fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> I just fucking love that. Yeah. It's, it's like an intergalactic wedgie. <laughs> One of the things that is so frustrating about watching some of these old sketches is that like Adam Sandler, like one of the, you know, Adam Sandler and, and Chris Farley, like by far broke out more than almost any other star in this, yeah. in this cast and have like very tiny parts in this sketch. But uh, like our note, like our note is committed to what they're there to do. You know, like clearly somebody just wrote a, a David Brenner bit for Sandler to do, but he he shows up for it. You know, he's not like insulted by the smallness of that of that part. The giving Riker to Chris Farley was such an interesting choice because you could see where the study began and ends. Yeah. Like, like what does Jonathan Frakes do physically that can be blown up into right. a into an 11 out of 10 strength and leading with his head? It's so good. For someone who moves like Chris Farley does, which which he is one of the great physical actors of, of all time. Yeah. And the way he walks into and out of a scene is great. But what sucks is like when he drops that line... You know, after going double blenders at the bar. What if we divert power from the life support on the Fiesta deck to the blenders? Make it so, number one. He flubs it and you can see him turn away from the camera and then he's like, he's into himself on it. Like he knows he drops a line and he fucked it up and like you could kind of see his shoulders shake like out of frustration. The pressure of that is is insane, and like to be yeah. like going through the uh, like I didn't get the blender joke out perfectly. Yeah, on like still live on camera dealing with that is uh, is tough. I wonder if they knew how important this sketch was at the time. Like, there's so many moving parts. There's so much effort put into this. Like, I wonder if that's an even greater amount of pressure. Like, this is going to be something that gets replayed a lot. Yeah, it, this is one that's that's kind of bootleggy. Like it, it's it's mm-hmm. not on the NBC website. It's not on their official YouTube channel as of this recording. And I have pulled audio from this sketch specifically several times yeah. uh, in editing Greatest Gen episodes. Like I honestly wish I could find a way to capture the sound of Chris Farley moving around the set because that's the funniest yeah. <laughs> shit in the sketch. <laughs> but uh but like there's uh, they put so much into it it's and it, and it doesn't really have like a consistent game like it's a long enough sketch that there are different scenes where the idea of what the jokes are going to be about is totally different. Yeah. And like some of it I don't get. I think a lot of old SNL like is like topical comedy or referencing something that is like extremely timely in a way that it it will miss you if you're not thinking about that stuff. Like I'm not really sure what the joke was with Guinan that she's like super jivey or whatever. I mean, nor was Bernie Koppel's cameo directed to people our age either. Yeah. But yet that got a huge pop. Yeah, like that's the guy from the love boat is right. is like the only math you need to do there. I'm I'm sure that there's math that can be done with the Guinan jokes, but yeah. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's unusual for SNL to play so well with the show that it's sending up in in the ways that you described. Like like clearly there was an arrangement where real props could be used and the real music could be used. Yeah. And all the rest. It's just not something you see very often anymore and it and it makes the sketch great all those uh finishing touches another uh appearance by akira yoshimura in this episode which is another great joke which is that he shows up in the tos uniform and it is just uncommented on that sulu is there (laughs) this uh like the shatner episode had a couple of other really memorable sketches to me one of them was sexy cakes i know uh, I think we've both pulled dialogue from that sketch for a greatest gen uh-huh. for uh, where where Patrick Stewart's character works at an erotic bakery uh-huh. 
And then the other one that I love that very few people know about that <laughs> is uh, the series of action figures based on the movie Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> Miguel, longtime companion action figure with full battle armor and dino buddy. There's a lot of like orthodoxy in sketch comedy that SNL bucks, which mm-hmm. is interesting because it's kind of like the it's the big leagues of sketch comedy in a lot of ways. But there are lots of, you know, people that work in sketch or, you know, teach sketch that do not teach it the way that SNL does it, which is, you know, like SNL, they hate like jokey jokes and and in certain ways and they hate buttons like they never like the ends of snl sketches are almost never buttons and this is the rare snl sketch that does have a button and it is so dark and it's so tng also right like like it's dark and accurate it's rob schneider's data giving captain picard a human a chocolate dipped human heart as a as a valentine's gift (laughs) Just not understanding what a terrifying <laughs> gift that is, and there are there are a dozen buttons on TNG episodes that feel very closely related to this, like without the horror aspect. But like, here's the weird thing that Data thinks he learned, and then here's Picard to kick him in the balls about how he mm-hmm. got it wrong. Like, there's a self awareness to this moment too. Yeah, very fun. Well done, everyone. On a side. So they took a pretty long break after that in between 1994 and uh, the next the next Star Trek sketch we could find was 2015. That's right. Uh, the host of this episode was Dakota Johnson and the musical guest was Alabama Shakes. Man. This was a, this is a tribute sketch to Leonard Nimoy who had who had recently uh, passed away. It ends with a little a little card uh to that effect and I thought it was interesting that they went with a TNG kind of uh, character and set of jokes for a Nimoy tribute sketch but I guess if you you know walk into the writer's room and go like you know Nimoy passed we'd love Mm -hmm. to have something to put in the show this week to to pay him tribute and this was the best Star Trek related sketch that comes up like I could see that being just like okay, well, this is what we're, this is what we're gonna go with, um, and this sketch is really funny. Um, this is a a great showcase for Keenan Thompson's range and uh, abilities because uh, the the premise is that uh, this old man is on an operating table in a hospital, and they're waiting for the doctor, and the doctor shows up, and it's Keenan Thompson dressed as Worf, son of Moog, and he's like he is has rushed over here from the Star Trek convention, didn't have time to take the loaf off and is, uh, is going to operate, but it, it really goes through like twists and turns. Like it like becomes clear at one point that it wasn't his idea to dress up as Worf at all. He's doing it to like keep his wife happy. <laughs> That's the deeper level of what's going on here. And, and like once that piece of information is revealed, like many of the choices he makes in how to play the character uh you know make more sense like when when the grandpa on the gurney passes away and he raises his head to the ceiling and and screams he like he doesn't give it a hundred percent he gives it like a like a 60 percent scream to let the dead know a warrior is coming (laughs) is that a wharf thing the idea that he's like, well, I guess I'm dressed as a Klingon, so I got to scream to let the dead know a warrior is coming, but I don't like it. <laughs> that is a quality to Keenan's war for the entire sketch. Like yeah. he's a little bit pinched with his affectation, as if like, like I think uh, I think Dakota Johnson is great as the nurse in this scene because as the one who's embarrassed for. Keenan Thompson's doctor character, like that, that blanket that she puts on his impression is the tension in the entire scene. Like he can't go, he's fighting against the inner wharf in him, which is why he can't go 10 out of 10 yeah. on the Stovacore scream. Yeah. I think Dakota Johnson is really funny in this sketch too, because she's, it's, it's almost hard to tell if she's breaking the way she's laughing at Keenan Thompson. Yeah. Like, I don't think that I could stand in a room with Keenan Thompson doing this shit and not laugh about it. 
But the idea yeah. is that his coworkers think he's an idiot, like kind of covers for that in the logic of the sketch, you know? <laughs> it is impossible not to love Kenan Thompson as any character too, right? Like, so he's got such a unique quality in any sketch where like you don't hate him. So you, you, you're starting there. Right. And, and for Dakota Johnson to be embarrassed, but not hating him for his decision, <laughs> I think is an essential quality for a sketch like this. Yeah. Like if Worf were played by Taron Killam, for example, <laughs> I think, I think that that would be imbued with something else, like totally. something unintended. Yeah, which is why it's good that Taron Killam dies in the sketch. <laughs> I love that. Like, if you're if you're just like bullet pointing out what would be funny about this circumstance, the idea that a next of kin relative would be given the worst news by this character, <laughs> Justice Dwarf, is on that list. And I love how they're able to get there inside the sketch by introducing Vanessa Bayer and Pete Davidson. Like Vanessa Bayer is so unique as a comedian. Like if you've not watched, I think you should leave like her sincere form of comedy is something really special. And when she describes that moment and (laughs) it gets me every time. They're they're really glad that, that Worf was the last thing their grandfather saw. (laughs) Such a good moment. (laughs) Davidson was very rarely used. I feel like in the mid two thousands SNLs, but his one word delivery of Worf is delightful. War? Uh, another episode with a button on it, which is that this is actually a show coming, uh, yeah. to, <laughs> which is like like breaks the logic of the sketch, totally like undercuts everything that has come before, is dumb, yeah. but is also like funny enough to be like, oh, why not? You know, I, that is a technology that SNL uses, I think, is is one of its strengths. Like this is actually a pilot of a thing, for example. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, a nice easy, recognizable way to get out of sketch. Yeah. Ben, I was looking up the date of Leonard Nimoy's death and he died on Friday, February 27th. So like I had read a lot of mixed reviews of this sketch specifically and its relationship as, you know, a sort of tribute to Leonard Nimoy. But if you're Friday and your show is the next day, yeah, I think it's a solid sketch. I think it's very funny. It may be an inaccurate, like direct tribute to a Star Trek actor, but uh, as a tribute to Star Trek itself, I think it lands. And also, like, I think maybe appropriate, more appropriate than it would have been to have somebody dress up as Spock at that moment. Like, that might have been a little, like, ghoulish. Right. We have one last of these SNL episodes, the most recent one, and it's a 2017 episode uh, where Chris Pine was the host and uh, and reprises his role as Captain Kirk. LCD Sound System was the musical guest, one of the great musical guests on SNL. So uh, the structure of this is that the this is an, a, an episode that was shot but not aired in 60s Star Trek and... Neil deGrasse Tyson is like hosting a deep cable retrospective on TOS and is and is showing clips from this unaired episode of Star Trek. So we've got Keenan Thompson as Neil deGrasse Tyson hosting and we kind of come back to him periodically. Uh, it's also about a third season Star Trek that is in decline. They're not making episodes that are as good as uh, as they as they once were, and uh, and they're they're kind of trying to get their mojo back. So, uh, in in that way, they introduce a new character uh, by the name of Spocko, who's kind of the Poochie the dog to Star Trek's uh, itchy and scratchy show, I guess. Right, Chris Pine's William Shatner as Captain Kirk here is incredible, and I feel like. When he went and read for the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, he had this in his back pocket. Like, yeah, he could be 10 out of 10 Shatner as Kirk. He was encouraged to dial it back into, I think, the version of Kirk that we get in the Abrams Star Trek. You can see you can sense 
the Shatner DNA in in that performance. Yeah. There is some of that there, but it's like below surface level. This is what if he actually What if he was doing Shatner? Yeah. And it's amazing. Like it's amazing that he has the ability to modulate it as much as he does. Our systems are up and running. All thanks to a Vulcan from Queens with strange jelly bones. It's full Shatner in this and Part of what makes him such an appealing Kirk is how much like big shat energy he brings to the character without making it a a an imitation or whatever. Right. Uh, or without bringing any cruelty to it. Like it is a it is a loving send up. Yeah, <laughs> this is a, this is also a very loving, loving send up. Um, uh, Spock is played by Kyle Mooney, who they. <laughs> They did not make a a strong effort to make him look like like uh, Nimoy at all. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they they went with uh, as dorky as possible a wig and ears, and uh, and then Spacco's his brother is played by Bobby Moynihan. And the backstory on this character is that it it's like a Italian American lounge singer that they brought in because he had a hit song called Pizza Beach, uh-huh. and. Uh, and it's Bobby Moynihan just Bobby Moynihaning around the set, and uh, and he's got a catchphrase at him. Now that's a Star Trek. And multiple times during the sketch, uh, it's not just a catchphrase; it's a turn to camera and and a zoom in on yeah. <laughs> like, crash gets... zoom on. Now that's a Star Trek. Yeah, another uh, Akira Yoshimura in this, uh, this. I guess the last time Akira Yoshimura. Uh, portrayed Sulu on SNL until the next time they do it. Yeah, I yeah, like looking forward to the next time they do it because I feel like it's it, at this point a good enough running bit. Why not? Do you right. think that they they must have put him in a wig that's meant to look like the one the hair he had in 1976? Right, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> that's the funniest part. And and this is another one of those self aware jokes, right? Like. Spocko is going to like repair something that is broken about the ship and Yoshimura says yeah we've never seen him before it's weird you know making fun of himself but also the show making fun of itself for like at this point literally decades after the first time they just got him in to play this part because they didn't have anyone else to uh, still don't have an Asian actor on the show to, to play this part this is a sketch with multiple targets. You could argue that it's a send up of Neil deGrasse Tyson as much as it is of original series Star Trek. Like yeah. Keenan hammers him. <laughs> he's got he's got suns on his vest. Yeah. This was another really strong episode, I thought. Chris Pine is super game in every sketch that he's in. Uh one standout for me uh elsewhere in the show is a SWAT recon sketch. Uh-huh. Where uh, where two SWAT members are like looking through binoculars out at a, like they they're they're staking out another building, mm-hmm. and uh, and Chris Pine is one of the people inside the building they're staking out, and I think it's him and Beck Bennett are inside, and they are just having ten out of ten amounts of fun inside <laughs> inside this apartment, and it is totally baffling to the to the spies watching this play out. <laughs> it's like it's a sweet sketch in, uh, in a kind of a rare way. I love it. Really fun. We currently have eyes on two stoked dudes uh, feeling the groove in unison while pigging out on cotton candy. I thought this sketch was so funny. They they really like they make fun of, you know, a TV show trying to appeal to a cooler audience. They make fun of uh, what a sexist and racist work environment original series Trek was for the people that were on it. Like they make a joke about Ohora being the subject of sexual harassment and just a token right. black character that is used to be a sex object as often as she's used to be a character with agency. Neil deGrasse Tyson dunks on Star Trek V. <laughs> Which I reject categorically because that movie rules. Agree. And But like that's a joke that you're not going to get if you don't know Star Trek five. Like if you're not a Star Trek fan and even if you are a casual Star Trek fan and don't remember which one Star Trek five is, you're, you're not going to get that joke. Like that's, that is written for the fans. 
when your show depends on a viewer to recognize the reference, I wonder if that's not the reason that SNL satirizes Star Trek so rarely. Right. Because you really need to get it. And you don't have time to explain it in an SNL sketch. Yeah, I think that that's probably why there haven't been like discover Star Trek Discovery sketches because I don't think that enough people are watching that show. It isn't like a huge crossover appointment television event the way Game of Thrones is, you know, like a it's it's a deep genre show, but unlike Game of Thrones hasn't caught on in a mainstream way. SNL will edge case hosts in there if their network shows. Yeah. But because this is a CBS property, I like I'd love to see Sonequa Martin Green host this show. I think she would absolutely dominate, but it it just seems far fetched because there are two things against her. Like it's another it's another network and it's a show that requires some previous knowledge. Right. It'll be interesting to see if that changes with their push for their new streaming platform, the Paramount plus yeah. or whatever like that i mean they're putting a ton of money behind promoting that there there were like super bowl ads and stuff and i think multiple serialized super bowl ads yeah um i'm told right <laughs> but uh but you know maybe that show will start to find more of a following in a world where it's it's seen as as necessary to be in, involved in the conversation to have that streaming service as it is HBO or Netflix. Well, I really loved this tour around Star Trek sketches of SNL. I think this is a great idea by you, Ben. Oh man, I I, I wish there were ten more, and we could make this oh, like no. a, a repeat feature on the show. Yeah, yeah it was really was fun to sit down and watch all these today. I'd, I'd seen many of them before, but it and I like I feel like a a lot of them. You know, the uh, YouTube like remembered where I'd left off on the video because <laughs> I'd like gone in to pull a little piece of audio or something. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, the uh, the rewatch was was super fun and uh, definitely reminds me of how much I enjoy Saturday Night Live and Star Trek. Adam, why don't we uh, see if we have any Priority One messages in the inbox and whether or not they were written this week. (laughs) Well, we always know how to get out of that sketch. Yeah. (laughs) Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Adam, our first Priority One message is of a personal nature, and it's from Chris Brenner. I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. (laughs) And it's to the hosts of the Greatest Generation podcast. Hey, that's us. That is us. This is a little cross-promotion, isn't it? I guess so. Uh, It goes like this. Chris Brenner here. You know, Brenner Information Systems, interface operations, net access, channel 90. Yes, that Chris Brenner. My admin is a viewer of yours and said you were fans, so I thought I'd reach out, say thanks for the shoutouts. If you ever leave Maximum Fun, I hope you'll consider Channel 90. A lot of your viewers are already tuning in. Wow. <laughs> Chris Britter making moves. Wow. Channel 90's thirsty for the greatest generation. Yeah. Stepping on Jesse Thorne's dick right there. Let me just say that if we were ever to leave Maximum Fun, Channel 90 would be at the top of my list. Okay. <laughs> I think you want to cross-pollinate with, uh, with interface operations. Yeah. Do you think that we would get free net access as a, as a perk of being on Channel 90? I mean, that's a costly business expense for us. Yeah. It'd be great to have that covered. Yeah. Let's keep that in mind. Hmm. <laughs> ben, our second priority one message is of a promotional nature, but I guess the Chris Brenner one was a promo too in yeah. its own way. Pro- so. Chris Brenner must have twisted some arms behind the scene to get that categorized as personal. The message goes like this. Looking for more podcasts? Love such award-winning shows like TGG and TGD? Check out The Escape Pod, a new sci-fi film and TV review pod by a couple eclectic weirdos who also happen to be FODs. We cover science fiction from across the genre and across the years. Hopefully funny, occasionally informative, and potentially insightful. 
find the escape pod, exclamation mark included, wherever you get pods. P.S. Hey, B&A, so cool to see the plaque we gave you in, in Phoenix was a part of your stage setup. Philadelphia was great. Ah, cool. So uh, their call to action is check out the escape pod, a silly sci-fi film and TV review pod. They made us each plaques uh, in the style of the one that Jay Gordon and crew gave Captain Picard after he saved them from the uh, in the turbo lift in disaster. And uh, and we take those around all over the, the country and uh, and Canada as well and put yeah. them up on on stage and uh, they've held up great. They uh, they're one of my favorite things. I've got them on on display in my studio right now. Yeah, I really I really love them. They've become a permanent installation when we do live shows. If they ever wear out, I'm I may come to you for replacements. But uh, in the meantime, I hope folks will check out the Escape Pod. That sounds like a great show. Yeah, thanks to them for supporting the show with a Priority One message. P1s are uh, one of the direct ways you can support the production of The Greatest Discovery, along with the support we get from members at MaximumFun.org slash join. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. 
what's that, Adam? As you were watching all of these SNL sketches, did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Man, I think I'm going to give it to Akira Yoshimura because I will never have another opportunity to give it to Akira Yoshimura. Yeah. And he really, by the by the one from 2017, really looks like he's having fun. Like, I, he, yeah. he seems like he is a little uncomfortable and a little, you know, like people that work behind the scenes don't always want the, the uh, adulation of the camera also. Right. And it seems like he's probably done three dozen appearances on the show, which is something that, you know, happens with a lot of crew people from SNL, like, hey, you'd be perfect for this and you just mm -hmm. need to say one thing. Would you be on the show tonight? We need to fill out the jury during Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. Yeah, can exactly. You, can you wear this? He's been there from the beginning. He's like one of the few crew people that has worked on the show literally since it started. And uh, by, that, by that sketch in 2017 where he's repri reprising his Sulu part for like the fourth or fifth time it seems like he thinks it is so silly and he's like he's like grinning from ear to ear when he delivers his line it's great yeah you can really feel the joy of that uh, did you have an Edward Larkin Adam I want full relish is the biggest <laughs> the biggest pop to me was that line <laughs> it just destroyed me Oh man! When when Shatner reads the ingredients, <laughs> and Sulu has to make them, so much fun. <laughs> that was super fun, Ben. Uh, what are we gonna do on the next episode of the Greatest Discovery as we continue playing around in the periphery of Star Trek? Well, Adam, uh, next episode in a couple of weeks, uh, there is a episode of the television show Black Mirror that we've gotten a lot of requests over the years to review because it kind of inhabits a Trek adjacent universe, I guess. Uh, it's, it's meant to be a, a tribute to Star Trek. I'm, I'm a little bit scared of this episode because I, all, all I know about Black Mirror as a show is that it's scary and I don't watch scary things because I, I get too uh, scared. This is an interesting chaser to the episode that we just did because... Like the send up that SNL does to Star Trek is one flavor. And what this Black Mirror episode does in its send up is a very different flavor. Uh, USS Callister is the name of the episode, if I'm not mistaken. It's creepier than it is scary, I think, in a way that I think would would work better for you if you're not typically a, a scary movie or a scary show person. Okay, well, I'm slightly more optimistic about this then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, watch me be totally wrong and be remembering <laughs> something else that is not this, and it's just all eyeball trauma and jump scares. Um, well, anyways, I think that's available on uh, on Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah. uh, so, uh, so check that out uh, for the next episode of The Greatest Discovery and check back with us in a couple of weeks for that review. But in the meantime, I think we're going to leave it with Rob's, 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 Rob's. Thanks, Rob's. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast. It's hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. And the show is produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia, who has a wonderful YouTube page that shows you how to cook a lot of great meals. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. Those are run by the great Bill Tilly. We thank you so much, Bill. We appreciate all of the fun cards you make for the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned, audience supported